podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Well, welcome along to another Gallagher Shots podcast. My name's Emil. I'm joined today. It's quite a strange one, actually, because I think it's the three of us that know each other the least out of the entire group. So we've got Bestie. That's me. Hello, everyone. Yeah, that's the voice of Shell there. We've got Shell as well. Hello. How are you? Hello. Um, and you join us on a bank holiday where we're all just enjoying another day at home. And it's five years today since quite an important game in Newcastle United's recent history. Um, um, Newcastle played West Ham on the final game of the season and we won 2-0. It was three points needed to save Newcastle from the drop. It's a, an important season as well. We saw Jamal Lascelles join Newcastle, Ayosi Perez, heavyweights like Emmanuel Riviere and Facundo Faria all joined Newcastle in this season. It's it's How were we in a relegation scrap with players like that? Um, but yeah, going into this game... It's it was a win, as we know, two nil. We hadn't actually won since February going into this game. Uh we only won ten games all season. It was just a bit of a mess. I mean, Bestie, can you describe Rivier's goal in, in the game before this? QPR, yeah, off this road. It was Rivier, um, as you said, signed that summer. And I remember that summer, I think we'd sign Rivier, you'd say callback, uh De Jong was there, Cabela had signed. And there was a collage put together of the six signings, and it looked like a great summer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember, I mean, me personally, I, I hadn't heard of any of them, um, I, I mean, except for Jack Callback, because he, he'd love to score past Newcastle uh, for Sunderland, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Rivier signed uh, I um, from Monaco. He was in the same team as, I think, Falcao. Um, and he'd been signed with an endorsement that I remember was that he was um, quite similar to Thierry Henry. Um, so uh, that kind of comparison's always going to kind of make you think, well, hang on, this could be a this, this could be a great signing. Um, unfortunately, I think for all parties, um, Rivier didn't quite hit the heights of Henri because he came close. Um, in fact, I think Henri probably scored more goals than St James's. In fact, I'm certain he scored more goals than St James's part than Rivier. I've um, never seen Henri do a backflip, to be fair. So you know, no, nor have I. No, right. Um, yeah, the, the goal Rivier scored at Loftus Road. Um, it was one of those ones where I, it, it's. It was like Cisse, but Poundland Cisse against it was Swansea. Kind, kind of, I've, I've always had a thing where I, I love Nicholas Cage because <laughs> I, I always think he's what I would be like if I was an actor. <laughs> and the goal Rivier scored at Loftus Road was the kind of goal. If that chance was presented to me, it's probably how I would take it. Mm. Where he picked it off his own foot, and it's just kind of. Well, oh, somehow... if I if if I'd scored that at school, I'd be telling every family member about it. Yeah, I mean, does it count? Does it count as a trip? Is it a dink? Uh, a slip? I'm not too sure to be honest. <laughs> Shell, it, it's down your end. Were you, were you at this game? Were you nearby or? 
No, I watched it. I didn't actually see it, but um, yeah, no, I agree. It was um, it was <laughs> it was really special. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Sums it up. It, it kind of sums up Riviera's time at Newcastle. He's he's got that that cult status amongst fans just for for actually being that bad. I think Match of the Day used to look at players who were pretty good, but now we've got a collection of them who just never did anything for Newcastle. But um, yeah, the QPR game didn't bode well. I think that did we go into that game, the West Ham game. On a deficit, did, did we have things against us, or were we kind of still? It's in our hands, but we have to win. I can't remember yeah. what the. We were seventeenth after the QPR game, so right. um, it was in our hands. We ended up four points clear of the drop, so um, we could have lost that game and still, as it turns out, lost the West Ham game and still stayed up. But it was very much a clean situation where if you win, then that's it. Definitely, it's done. You're safe. So. Has Hull failed to beat Man U? I think. I think in that game, I've, I've not, I've not looked at every fixture, but I, I know that Hull were one of the ones that fell below us at that time, and it was, it was a little bit of sweet revenge, I guess, in the same way that they had had us against it when we went down. Um, but this, this entire crescendo of the 2014-15 season, for me, it's just got every element of the Mike Ashley era in one game and and those things that I'll kind of pick at are there's a player that the regime has pissed off or or an ex-player manager whatever you've got a relegation scrap in there you've actually got a Mike Ashley interview which is the the shiny rare card of this situation John Carver Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler general registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com. It's there. Um, <laughs> you've got a memorable final game of the season. Um, and we've also kind of to go full circle for the first time, Sam Allardyce uh, getting kicked out of Newcastle again and also out of the West Ham job at the same time. It's it's madness, would you say, Shell? Yeah, it was it was just a really weird time. We were all a bit confused about John Carver's role and what he was going to bring. And I think, like for me, I, I went to the pub to watch that final game in London, and it was a bit ridiculous. So my mum had come out to visit, and we there's two pubs basically um, in in, in uh, Carnaby Street in London. We went in the first one, which is a well-known Irish pub, O'Neill's, and we said he's showing the game, and they said yes. Yeah. So I ordered a pint, and I ordered her a double gin and tonic, and then they said no, it's across the road they're showing it. So we. Downed our drinks, went across the road, and he said, "I've just spoke to landlord of O'Neill's. Um, it's actually going to be there." So we downed another couple of drinks. <laughs> we were absolutely like gone by the time we, the game actually started. But yeah, it was just, it was just that feeling of like dread. You're thinking we've bought some a uh, collection of what could, on paper, as Bessie says, um, be good players, but no one knows how they fit together. They've struggled all season. I think we had like one point in ten going into that game, and you just get as Geordie fan. And you just get that sinking feeling and you think we're not going to be lucky again we're going to go down and and it's that reason too because we're too good yeah it was it was a weird day because we'd I think this was was it the season after Europe we'd had the fifth finish season yeah. it was it was the slow process of Newcastle becoming what we we think we should have been uh, after coming back up from the championship um, but bestie can you kind of sum up that season what it was like it was really peculiar um, obviously what it was kind of party um left in the January of 2015 um and Newcastle 
I was looking at the um, kind of fixtures and league tables and stuff this afternoon, and Newcastle were fifth in November. <laughs> I know. Um, the big QPR, uh, well, no, fifth after 12 games. They played Everton on December the 28th and won ninth. I think that was part of his last game. There may have been one New Year's Day now, I think, on. Um, and the, as you say, the second half of the season, I think they beat Villa Hull, and then that was it until May, and it was... It was to be fifth after twelve games, and then after thirty-seven games, to be I think seventeenth. We said earlier, it was it was basically Pardew's time in Newcastle in a kind of microcosm where Pardew started off all right, beat Liverpool three nil, um, finished fifth his first full season, and then um, the season after was when they had to win again. Ironically, QPR keep on popping up. It was when um, Jose Basingo had an absolute nightmare. Like when he scored a penalty for QPR, yeah. Um, and I think Gufran made the mis- made the most of a mistake, but I mean that's kind of getting a bit sidetracked. But yeah, it was kind of it was, it was Pardew's entire career in Newcastle was it four or five years in a season where it started off okay, got a bit choppy, then he left, and I mean the, the best coach in the world, self-proclaimed John Carver, came in, and and the, the Newcastle what shocking they were appalling that season. I remember I, I work with a, um, a died in the world West Ham fan, London lad Neil, and we almost came to blows. Um, over which team was going to win this game you know the episode of Father Ted where Mrs Doyle <laughs> won't pay for the cup of tea and I may yeah. not pay for it either it was my my team's worst no my team's worst no my, and it was it it, got, it didn't get heated but it was quite um, we were both passionately putting forward a point that we were the worst team in the league and fortunately for Newcastle on that day where West Ham probably were they were appalling yeah and we, we've got that eight game run of losses in there which I'm I'm just looking at it's just a sea of red on there um, Sunderland obviously won twice that year um, yeah. however if, if as, as a moral person I say that the, the one that we lost at home should be chalked off uh, in the name of children um, you guess who I'm talking about but the other things is just I mean I look at these seasons kind of like the the post-European seasons I don't have any memories about those at all I was away from the North East anyway but during those seasons I just I felt like we were just going to do nothing and it just it never felt like we were going to do anything ever again for that matter they were just really depressing seasons and then the season after we do eventually go and get relegated for the second time in in Mike Ashley's era but um, as I mentioned one of the key moments of that game, and I, I think that if you listened across most of Newcastle, you could hear a pin drop when Mike Ashley appeared on the screen and gave one of his first interviews we've ever seen. I mean, I didn't know what his voice sounded like up until that point, to be honest. But um, just to look at some of the quotes here, um, he says... I can't really imagine from Christmas. I didn't anticipate anywhere near the situation. Obviously, after the last sort of couple of weeks, I'm still a bit shocked by where we find ourselves today. Can either of you believe that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> John Carver, but, you know, it's not it's not like he put him into the post knowing that he'd won, you know, and had a great record. I mean, he bought, yeah, he paid some money, but again, as we're all used to, it was bargain bin signings that didn't fit together John Carver obviously didn't know how they played together um you know and I think by this point fans were thinking we've heard this all before I think the other quotes were something like I'm not leaving till you know we win a cup and and you look at it and you just think it's absolute bullshit Mike you've you've bought a collection of I mean Perez I think was on the bench who then went on to be our top scorer I mean it was very clear that we were a disconnected club it was very clear that 
the players couldn't work together or weren't listening to John Carver from our point of view. Mm. And anything that he said from that from that perspective, I think he just lost credibility with the fans. I don't know if Fessy would probably say something, you know, similar. It was just... We, we well, just, he was we offering just about the fights. There was fights that we mentioned in the, the last podcast. Carver was wanting scraps at the ground. It was... It, it's just unbelievable, really, isn't it, Bestie? It, it, it's insane. I remember they, they lost uh, three 0 at I was going to say Thilbert Street. They show me age. Uh, <laughs> King Power against Leicester, and he, he accused I think Mike Williamson of getting sent off on intentionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. intentional red card. Um, which is, I mean, ironically, of the, the two red cards Newcastle had that day, I thought Williamson's was the most innocent. I thought Jan Matt maybe got sent off on purpose, but um, oh, he loves it. He loves a red. Yeah, he does. He's, he's a bit of a. I, I, I like that young man. I, I, I first kind of came across him. Um, I was watching a World Cup in Greece with um, a mate who's a big Feyenoord fan, and it was around the time young man was talking about. And he loved young man. He said, "Oh, yeah, you've got to watch him. He's brilliant. He's great for Newcastle." And I've always been a sucker for a player with long hair. Um, I mean, hence good years as well. <laughs> so I thought, great, we'll have a bit of young man. And he, I've, I've got a rabbit named after him still, and it, it's uh, it, it just didn't really happen for him, did it? He, he was a bit of a bugger in the end. <laughs> Jan Matt Best's got a good ring to it, mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, we signed Daryl Murphy when, when he left, so now it, I think it, it's goes, it might right. have uh, it goes to the next Daryl, does it? Yeah. Um, find someone else. Just, just, to, just to talk. I mean, we mentioned there Jan Matt's another one that we signed that year, and um, not to delve too much into his quotes, but another thing that Ashley said he he was asking about. I think he was asked about what he would be doing with investment, and he says, "If you're talking about investing in the club, I will continue the policy of investing into the football club," which of course translates as bollocks. Um, he says the only positive we've got. The club on is a, a sound financial footing. We're able to spend relatively and punch above our weight in a situation the club finds ourselves in. Um, I can see Shell rolling her eyes back at this, um, <laughs> just hearing it once again. Um, and, and then he went on to say probably the, the, the strangest one. I think he must have been power drinking at this point uh, and thrown up into fireplaces. We are now definitely going to win something. And by the way, I shan't be selling until we do not at any price and when I say win something if we get in a position of a Champions League place that counts as winning something from this day forward we will be making our own luck and the season after Newcastle went down It's it's just crazy. This this is a man who never gave a television interview, but as I've just posted in the group there, the Chronicle put a poll basically saying were was anyone encouraged by this interview about investment? Fifty three percent of people said yes, forty seven percent said no, and I know that's very Brexit margins, but um I think it still says a lot for how that interview maybe changed a few perceptions of the man. Would you say, Shell? I think when because he hadn't given any interviews, the fact that he come he came out in the first place had made some people start to believe. And we've seen it very more recently with the takeover. You know, as soon as someone comes out to give an interview, people change their opinion and think, well, just because someone said something, it must mean something. And I think maybe somewhere in his deluded mind, he was thinking this 
fine. Like he was thinking, like I'm a businessman, so like Sports Direct, what I'm going to do is just jump into the bargain bin and I'm going to buy a couple of players that might actually be really good. And let's not forget that he did that on the back of Cisse pulling out like three or four worldy goals and six or seven like all right ones when he wasn't offside. Demba Bar came in and was brilliant. And I think somewhere along the line he'd forgotten that it doesn't always work to just rely on your youth team if you don't put any money in or to rely on signings just like accidentally becoming good so i think in his mind he was thinking you know what these players could all be michael j for hope for the warriors started back in 06 at camp lejeune military families witnessing the effects of war on their loved ones now almost 20 years later they've aided over 53,000 service members veterans and families with confidential high quality behavioral health care services at little or no cost to post 9-11 vets and their families over 91 percent of every dollar donated goes directly to the programs if you're as concerned about our heroes as i am go to hopeforthewarriors.org worldies and not that i'm about to defend him in any way but had he actually put a team together with a decent coach had he actually got maybe rafa then who could have actually looked at all of these players individually and brought out the best in them you know, Perez, we didn't see the best of him for a really long time. And maybe something could have come of it. But the way that he went about it was just to bargain basement, for my, in my view, for it actually to work. Yeah, and that, that bit that sticks around in my mind is uh, the part at the end when he says, I, I won't be going anywhere until I win something. Um, Bestie, what do you think he imagined winning at that point? <laughs> It's hard to say. I mean, as Shell says, kind of, he'd had a... Probably a legal battle with Jonas or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even win that one, did he? No, exactly. Um, What does he he mean? It's really hard to say because the the Cups, I mean, even under under Rafa, the Cups were never taken seriously, really, Um, with the exception of the League Cup in the Championship where they got, I think they got beat up penalties by Hull in the quarters. Um... But there's, I mean, I, I, he must have been hoping for a, a, a generous cup run, or because there's no way that that method of buying cheap and selling, well, not as cheap, depends on who the director of football is at the time, I suppose, um, was going to work. He had had a little bit of luck with, as Shell says, kind of some of the Graham Carr signings, like so Kabai. Um, Musa Sissoko who was infuriating but you'd probably overall have to say he was a success in Newcastle um, given what he cost and what he came in for in the end um, I, uh, maybe it was that he thought he could continue that and if you look at the summer that followed I mean he signed Wijnaldum who um, I thought was a great player yeah. um, Florian Tovan who's subsequently gone on to become a good player in France less so in, in England so I, I think that's what he was trying to do was continue that policy of kind of by good, well-scouted, cheap young players and see what they could make of them. Going in on that logic in the Cups, he probably thought that Tovan was his saviour when um, when we played, was it Northampton at home and we we, we thrashed them? Um, yeah, and, was. Ashley was probably looking for sellers as that goal went in. Um, but he, he says that he's not going anywhere until he, he won something. It, it's quite strange that he felt pressure to come out and say this. What, what, do, you, what do you reckon made him come out at that point, Shell? What, why was that the final straw? 
Mm, it's difficult to say. Like maybe he was thinking, I put some money into the club. The fans are quite got high expectations. Maybe I just need to come out and confirm my commitment. Um, it's really difficult. Like you're thinking, yeah, you brought all these brilliant players from all across Europe, and then you've given them to John Carver, who <laughs> goes down the pub seven times. Like, what are you thinking that he's going to bring out in them? It's it's very difficult. I think um, at that point, I think Mike Ashley has been from the beginning trying to win the fans over, and I think I think the fans were like in the beginning they were like let's you know let's see where this goes, and eventually they just got to the point where they were like it doesn't all work. It's great if you want to buy all these you know have a go maybe brilliant players, but you have to then get someone like Rafa who understands how they work. So yeah. I think at that point he was thinking, this is my last chance. I could go out, show that we're committed, maybe get the crowd on side. Because obviously if you've got the Geordies on side, that makes the home games a hell of a lot easier. I think there was a, a lot of unrest about John Carver already. So maybe he was thinking, this is the time now. We'll save the season and, you know, maybe come on to something better. Maybe that's I, what he was thinking. I'll be completely honest. And when I saw that interview, I, I actually thought, right, maybe this is it. And dare I say it, I mean, I will wash my mouth out with soap after this, but dare I say, I was actually excited about the thought of Steve McLaren coming in as manager from that point, because I thought, yeah, this is going to be it. This is going to be a transformation of Newcastle United. And it all went to pot. Um, and, and and the summer that followed, I mean, you know, we, we got the signings in. We had the likes of Vinaldum. I think we we did all right at first, but it, it quickly unravelled, and and we found ourselves um, with Rafa Benitez in the championship, which which is the better deal um, in the end. But um, can can you shed any light on what actually happened with Jonas? Because I'm still slightly unaware as to like the timeline of things. Um, I'll probably have to go straight back to Shell here because it, it's the the legal stuff. Um, what actually was Gutierrez's case with with the club? Did that happen before or, or after this game? So I think he'd already obviously taken some advice before the game and I think it was ongoing at that point. Yeah. But obviously he was saying it in terms of being dismissed from a, from your job, which is effectively what he was doing, there are certain rules about when you can do that and when you can't do that. Um, and I think, honestly, from, from the point of that game, he was playing for the fans. I don't think that he gave a shit what Mike Ashley thought or, or whatever. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm going out to show that I'm a professional. And, you know, I think from that perspective, his lawyers probably would have been saying that's, that's where you should be at and you should take the call. Okay, separately to this but it just as you say it's just important I've got someone playing for us that's you know in the position of you know ill health and having to you know put on a best performance of the team and that win was a football club win which sums up Newcastle United you know like you say we were made to we were made to feel excited about C-rate managers coming in because we just had it's just you know we'd had such a shit time of it for so long Mm -hmm. you know that's how we were made to feel I feel like yeah, Gutierrez was thinking this is a performance for the fans. And obviously whether, you know, he'd at that point, we, I don't think we know whether he'd made it clear that there was going to be a legal argument. But I think from Mike Ashley's perspective, um, he 
from what I understand, he always fights a legal battle, whether there's 0% chance of winning or 50% chance or higher. I understand that's what he does. So from that perspective, the fact that he went to a tribunal and argued the case, it, in the circumstances of someone making that claim rather than settling it, says a lot about him as a business person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it obviously we, we know the story. Um, Jonas Gutierrez, born again, came back into the team. There was the the emotional bit where he he came on. I think was it against Wolves um, when he was away from home? Or he he came on against somebody, and it, it, the the whole stadium, not just Newcastle fans, got up and applauded him. Um, he's a really special player. By no means the most magnificent player we've ever had, but he's got that as I said before, cult status, but for the right reasons, unlike Riviere. Can you sum him up in one word, Bestie? Whoa, crazy. One word. For, I, could, I could talk about him all night. Uh, <laughs> I really could. I, 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 the, the day after, he's, the, the, I remember watching his debut. This is far more than one word, obviously. Um, I watched it in the pub in heaven, and the next day I went to the club shop and bought, uh, this, it was a silver third shirt and got Jonas in the back. It was love at first sight for me, but with one word, I would, I don't know. Redemptive. Nice. I like it. Shell, have you got one, maybe? Uh, I would say loyal. Nice. I'd like to say that his gun is like a solid 10 out of 10 as well. And like is what? Well Sorry, I think it broke up. I just heard so. Just for the PG rating here. His girlfriend. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. It's <laughs> a solid 10 out of 10. Right. I mean, um, if if you want to go like, back well, to the last podcast, you'll you, you'll hear which girlfriend, but um, <laughs> allegedly. Um, I mean, the one that I saw in the swim seat, ten out of ten, <laughs> great. There we are then. Whole uh, base is covered. Um, we're, we're we're twenty four minutes in. We might as well get stuck into the game itself. Um, did that game have the the fairy tale factor that that it was meant to be, do you reckon, Shell? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at this point the fans didn't care about Ashley, you're fans for life so you obviously want your club to stay up as I said I watched it in a pub in London and all these Geordies fucking piled into the pub and they all had like in this was the days when iPads were brand new they all had iPads with all the other games on basically everyone that wasn't a Geordie was ejected from the London pub um, and when those goals went in, goals went in the place absolutely erupted yeah and rightly so um, we have to start with the other goal which some might say had us saved already because we did kill the game off but Sissoko scored the first um, bestie that was that was his was it first season for Newcastle I mean he he was quite a prolific player in in that season or the, the one before Sissoko no that was his third I think third season by that point I yeah because so yeah you kind of because he came he, he, in amongst that kind of that, that big influx of French players group the French January uh, spend uh, yeah Dara um, Yanga and Biwa I think <laughs> at the same time yeah yeah and, um, and but, he, he was he was alright though wasn't he I mean he he, he he still I think as much as we say that the players switched off sometimes in in derby games as, as me Andy and Clark said the other week um, Sissoko was one that almost looked like he had a bit of an affinity with the crowd despite going on to piss us off yeah, I think Sissoko was one where kind of it, it was that um, that home debut against 
Chelsea. I'm not, yeah. I don't think anyone Amazing. really knew a great deal about him. Where he, I think he scored twice. I think actually the good year scored that day as well. I think he did. I think good year scored a header. Um, and Shisoko, it was when actually Cole was coming towards the end of his career. Um, and Shisoko absolutely destroyed him down the right hand side. Not a ball, like similar to Gareth Bale against Barcelona in that cup final, where he's not a ball past him and just kind of ran a, a, a massive circle around him, but still got there first and possibly made a goal from that one. Totally. Um, and he could strike the ball. I remember him hitting a couple of free kicks. He scored some, he scored some great goals, but he was infuriating at the same time. Um, <laughs> it, 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 he'd have kind of a good game in every, like a fabulous game in every six, maybe. And the other five, you'd kind of really struggle to pick him out sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I like to soak up. And I think that every fan's got a right to, to still be fairly annoyed with what happened, but we, we did get a good cash price for him in the end. Um, I, I remember that Chelsea game and just how he stormed towards it. And I think there was a similar fashion in this game. Um, I, with, with the goal itself, with Sissoko, it was, was it was it one of like a long-range effort type thing? Yeah. Um, I'll, 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 I'll sorry, Sean, go on. Yeah. Quality. I think it was. Uh, so it was the sip of gin that came before it. There it was just the. Let me just think back there. Um, I, I, you know, the one thing I've not done that much research into is, is Sissoko's goal, so I can't remember it too well. Um, Bestie, have you got anything to add on that one? Um, fortunately, in the time it's taken you to talk about it, I've just watched it. Okay. I can't remember that. <laughs> Professional, this is it, yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's a, a cross comes in from um, our number 18, whoever that was. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's a, a back post header. He actually gets up pretty well, wins a header, and uh, again, kind of less iconically than Gutierrez whips his shirt off and runs towards the bench so I wonder if that was the order of the day maybe mm. he had the beef with Ashley as well but that was a little bit less uh, shall we say less sharpened his beef was probably with Carver to be honest <laughs> very possibly very straight over to John yeah yeah told you I was good enough um, it, yeah I mean it, it, I, think, I, I think number 18's Jan Matt by the way we've already mentioned him and uh, oh no it was Gutierrez oh number 18 was Gutierrez put the ball in yeah, yeah he put the ball in for the circles. 22 was he? I didn't yeah, realise. So, so yeah. he got he got an assist and the goal essentially, yeah. or an indirect assist. That 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 really is the icing on the cake, which which is which is my my, my line for what um, Jonas's goal was. I mean, I I think I'll get goosebumps if I think about it here, but but two two as well. Just here in the line, can there be a more popular goal scorer? The man who knows the true meaning of survival—that that's up there with the the Roma Champions League goal in terms of um, commentary and, and and how perfectly it just fits. I mean, that celebration—it's it, up there with the just the, the ultimate passionate. It's a blackout moment for Gutierrez. You can't believe it's happening to him. His his shirts off, and then he snaps out of it, pushes the other players out of his way. And like you say, he goes over towards the dugout, but he's looking straight at that director's box, knowing Ashley's in the ground, cups his ears, the fans are going wild. I mean, that for me is my favourite middle finger to Mike Ashley I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah it's just really classy. Yeah. And I, th- I think, if you, you know, looking at the, the club versus player right there, 
every every chip went to him at that point. It was just wonderful, uh, poetic. And he said he celebrated like that because maybe I did not have the support I wanted from the board, so maybe it was something like that. I wanted to hear what they're going to say about me now. It's just wonderful, isn't it? I mean, we've summed them up in one word there, but for a player to come back like that, Shell, that, that's really something, isn't it? Not just from the club, but just the way that he, he, he finished off that year. Yeah, it's, it's really great. And obviously, you know, I think he documented a fair bit of his, his journey with his you know the Geordies have always been you know a working class club they're for you know the honest man and you know in any respect he would have been entitled to just give a big fuck you to Mike Ashley but the fact that he could be like I've saved I've saved like I've saved it for your fans and now I'm just reminding you I'm really great Michael J for hope for the Warriors started back in 06 at Camp Lejeune military families witnessing the effects of war on their loved ones now almost 20 years later they've aided over 53,000 service members veterans and families with confidential high quality behavioral health care services at little or no cost to post 9-11 vets and their families. Over 91% of every dollar donated goes directly to the programs. If you're as concerned about our heroes as I am, go to hopeforthewarriors.org. It was just so classy and it was just, I think it was actually really emotional. I think obviously we're all glad to be staying up by that point, but it was more than that. It was like, this is our club. This is the story. And at that point, people were thinking, whatever you think, Mike Ashley, it isn't enough. It's deeper than that. Yeah. Sorry, just to say, Shell, that if, if this does come out on the recording, I, I will just say that it's not the drink, it's just the connection that's making Shell sound very slow in the way that she's talking. So, um, right. <laughs> it, it's, it's doing a disservice to you there. The, the drinks have not been that much. Uh, Bestie, just, just to go on to you there, um, there, there was an, another quote, I think it was from the Chronicle, they were just saying like the, the moments of joy that Phil, uh, followed the final whistle. Um the, the fans still turn their attention to Mike Ashley saying, get out of our club. Do you think that even in that win, even even in that that um, survival moment, the, the fans still had a right to be pissed off with, with everything? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, the, the, for everything, the, the failure to replace Pardew, because if you remember when Pardew was looking to leave, I seem to recall it was played out over a number of weeks that he was going to go to Palace. Everyone knew about it. And there was just nothing, no contingency measures taken at all to kind of get another coach in. It was, we'll give it a carver, see what he can do. Um, and I think that frustration, I mean, within with the relief of of Gutierrez's goal to Sobo's goal, the kind of survival, there's still that recognition that this isn't good enough. You know, this is a a, a club that have kind of been, and uh, subsequently it's happened as well, it's been neglected, it's been left to kind of rot in, to a certain degree. And... I think it, it, it is right. I, I'm a long way from being a Mike Ashley apologist, and um, and, and yeah, I, I think it was um, exactly the right thing to do, especially with him being in attendance as well. Mm. Shell, did you did you have any bad feeling about what would happen next? I mean, we we saw the players come in, but as survival was confirmed, did you have any feeling that it could be even worse the next year? Yeah, I think. Sorry, I've just moved, so hopefully my internet is better. Well, well yeah, you've, you've got no safety net now, so if you do slow your words, we know it's the drink. 
um, yeah, no, I think I think you know everyone was glad to survive. But I think firstly the the Geordies were angry because they were thinking we're Newcastle United, we shouldn't be in a relegation scrap. Um, you know, it's it, it, we're a massive club. It's not where we should be. And I think even though you know he'd come out, obviously the feeling was still there. There was the underlying feeling about what happened with Gutierrez, what was going to happen, and that Carver just wasn't wasn't good enough. I think that was the fans' opinion. So obviously everybody was nervous, and I don't think anyone was thinking Mike Ashley saying he was going to invest in the club was going to come to anything more than you know four or five million pounds worth of spend. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it, it's weird that this moment came equidistant from from where we are now and and when the first relegation happened or at least that that first season out of the championship this, this just it just stands there as as one highlight um in amongst a, a really bleak 10 year period um Shearer said as well just after it he says you know there was a great atmosphere the players showed that they wanted to stay in the premier league the fans backed them um and he said, now that if they stop selling their best players, bring in a few new faces and play the best team in cup competitions, you never know. We might just have a very good club on our hands. Is it constantly, and I know I've mentioned this in other podcasts as well, is it constantly bestie that Newcastle are always the could have been? I think so. I think that's been the case. I mean, I'm, I'm 38 years old and for as pretty much as long as I can remember, Newcastle have always been referred to as a sleeping giant or... Or, or as kind of all the, you know the bridesmaids nearly men, um, and I, I think what Shira said was pretty much spot on. It, it, it happened under Benitez where we were maybe one or two players or a couple of a couple of seasons maybe away from something really not great and not. Like, I'm not I think I know which one you're on about. Is this when Ashley's statement came out and he said it? He read it on Match of the Day. I, I remember it well because I was in the clock and no one forgets being in the clock. Um, and he, <laughs> I, and he, I think he just said... Seasons, yeah, well, I think I saw Carver later on that night so that's not, it's going to send us into a bit of a loophole here. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, he, he, he said copy and paste, copy and paste. I think Shearer had his, the end of his tether there uh, when yeah. Newcastle had had two successive good end of seasons, um, certainly with, with Benitez at the helm. It, it, it's just, it's it, it's ridiculous. It, it it adds to the whole thing of just being shocked by everything that Mike Ashley's done. Yeah, it does a bit. I mean, Ashley obviously started off that first summer. He was spending money. He was in the big market in his shirt and stuff. And it was as soon as the ironically, um, just after Gutierrez signed, because Gutierrez was actually signed by Wise and Jeff Terry and uh, Tony Jimenez, wasn't he? But that committee that mm. signed Gonzalez and Cisco as well. So he he was him and uh, Coraccini, I suppose you'd say, were the kind of um, the, the exceptions to the. The, the general rule that they that they were terrible for the club, but but yeah, it, it's kind of been a thing ever since where we've always been on the cusp of something or potentially on the cusp of something, but just haven't had the appropriate level of ambition. Or Ashley's been quite happy to kind of rest on his laurels or take a gamble. As Shell referred to earlier with kind of getting cheap young players in, um, and it, it hasn't for thirteen years though. Just it hasn't worked, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. one top half finish in that time. Uh, I don't think any well apart from this season um, where it was cup final day yesterday and we're still in the draw so that's a bonus um, still unbeaten <laughs> still unbeaten yeah unbeaten since uh, late February now I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's uh, 
that means we've won something. That's why he's selling. Yeah. That, that, that'll be it. <laughs> I think I think that's why there's such an appetite when you look at. I mean, I, I, I was fortunate enough to meet Rafa um, in, in the championship season. He said the reason he came and he, he said yeah, I could have gone to Southampton. I could have gone. I'm not saying these clubs offered him jobs, but he said he kind of went through the Premier League and said I can't go there because of rivalry. I can't go here because of whatever reason. Um, I want to come to Newcastle because this is a team that I truly believe I can take on. I can kind of progress. I could get to. European football I can win cups with and it always feels it has done for a lot of my life that that was next season mm. you know it was always oh next season will be alright next season we can kick on and it just it, it never it's never happened yeah it's it, it's it's really sad to think that there was worse after this and, and, and then redemption um, but I mean would, would you say that the atmosphere at the West Ham game was Better than the the one following when Benitez was there and we beat Tottenham five one. Do you think that there was more hope with the West Ham game, or, or do you think arguably there was there was more hope with the the Tottenham game show? I think I think there was for the West Ham game because I think the fans are just they're just brilliant. The fans are like I know that the club needs me so I'm going to be there and that wasn't that whole game you know Gutierrez the fans everything about that whatever Mike Ashley thinks that wasn't about him from my perspective mm. so this is a fight to survive and at the end of the day whatever we think about John Carver whatever we think about Mike Ashley and we want our club to stay up and I think you could always rely on the fans uh, like you know obviously I'm London based so I go to more away day um, but I, I always think, even when home games, when you know it's important, which obviously they didn't think when I went to that shit Christmas game against Brighton, but when it's important, <laughs> the fans are there. And I think with Rafa, it wasn't a reflection on how we felt about Rafa. It's just trepidation because, it's like Bessie says, it's been 13 years of trying to run a business rather than trying to create success in a football club. Mm. And it, it just doesn't work. So whatever dynamics he changes over the time Mike Ashley has lost his credibility with the fans so they they just don't care anymore like what he, whatever he comes out and says now no one cares so that game I think the fans were there because it was fight or die and Geordies are always going to be fighting mm. Yeah, I, I, I like that it's alluded to as, as not even the final nail in the coffin, which is which is the even sadder part of it all. It, it, it's it, it's amazing to me, certainly not just in this podcast that we're doing, but talking over the last few weeks, seeing all the articles, you can't quite believe how many times Mike Ashley got himself into that position, yet did nothing to get himself out of it. Um, it, it, it just baffles me, but... Um, we might as well focus on the future because it'll get the numbers up if we've got shell on it. Um, it's all about a takeover again now. So so click like and subscribe at this point. Um, Mike actually said he's not going anywhere until he won something. Do you think he would have hung on if this hadn't happened? Like let's let's say in the, the current climate of the world, if this hadn't happened, would he have been? Would we have been waiting until we won the FA Cup this year? I think Mike Ashley's been trying to run this football club and, and like he runs his businesses, you know, like Sports Direct is a very tight ship in the way that it's financially run and he's thinking, you know what, if I can run it like a business and make some money um, and put in, you know, and get a few lucky right? I think that's what he's thinking and I think eventually and I think for longer than the fans probably know, he's now been thinking, you know what, football clubs don't actually make me as much money as buying up dead 
that are falling apart so let me just sell it and move on I don't think realistically he's thought that Newcastle can win a title for a long time I think if it was ever going to happen it was going to happen under Rafa but he just didn't yeah. have he just didn't have the players I mean buy a striker <laughs> yeah, simple instructions. How to run a football club? Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's just mad to think. Do you, do you reckon he'll go somewhere else, Bestie? After this, if if, if it does happen. Well, I mean, I've, I've seen things this weekend suggesting he might go to West Ham. I mean, um, how, how wonderful. <laughs> we go <called> full circle. <laughs> just that, that nice little kind of parallel with the, the Goodyear situation. Um, do I think he'd go somewhere? I, I don't know if he's got the appetite. I, I mean, he's really, really had his fingers burned in Newcastle. I think he came into it with quite a cavalier attitude. Um, I mean, the, the, all the talk of not having done due, dil- dil- uh, due diligence, um, which shouldn't be that hard to say. Um, <coughs> uh, I, think, I think we signed him as well as Ferrari, to be honest, that season. <laughs> and uh, just, I, I, I don't... If he was going to buy a football club, I would imagine it would be, he'd be better signing, doing, getting a fixer upper. Someone, yeah. I mean, like the Sunderland, maybe that you can pick up for a comparatively cheap. Um, it, it, I mean, Sunderland are obviously not in a great shape at the moment, but you kind of feel as though it wouldn't take too much to get them back to where um, they were prior to what's happened to them lately. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't think he'd buy another Premier League club. Um, I'll, I'll be to be honest. I would be surprised if he stayed in football. To be honest with you, I think his, uh, especially the way the high street's going now, and we'll see what the kind of um, state of players once um, the coronavirus situation's sorted itself out, if it does. Um, I, I think he's going to be back on the high street and just snapping everything up, basically. Do you reckon the same shell? Just. <laughs> Yeah, I I would be hugely hugely surprised if if he puts any money into football other than not being the front man and trying to make some sort of money out of it. I just cannot see. Yeah, I think it's like like you said, he's had his fingers burned. Um, he's realised that it isn't a business that's super profitable. Um, but the only thing is that is that. The only thing that makes me think he might is that there's still money in football. His other current businesses are not making money at the moment. I think the hit of the retail is going to come in six months. That's the only thing that makes me think that he might. But I do not for a second think that he'll put himself as the front man again. He'll be in as an investor. Mm. Um, We'll we'll wrap this up now, guys. But just to place this game, the West Ham game five years ago, um, on this day that we're actually recording, just so we're historically accurate here. Um, where where would you place this game in... Well, I, I'd like to say Newcastle history, but th- there's too many other big moments in there that, that would eclipse it massively. But let's just say in the last 13 years, where would you place that moment of uh, Gutierrez hitting the back of the net shell? I think in terms of what it says about the club, the club of fighters, the club have players who come, who fall in love with the club, that, you know, the there are so many players now in the current squad um, who are prolific on Twitter, who we love because, not, not necessarily because of how brilliant they are on the field, just because of how brilliant they are engaging with the fans in the same way that Rafa came. From that sense, Gutierrez's goal is, is from an emotional perspective, very, very hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard to beat in terms of the emotional connection and the grit of the club and us saying, the, the fans saying, F you to everything around us, we are fighting. In that sense, it, it is actually everything that the football fan of Newcastle United is in the sense of brilliant games on the day to anyone else probably not 
not hugely high up. <laughs> not a great one for the neutrals, eh, Bestie? Would you, would it make your top five, Bestie? Oh, top five in the, in the actually uh, that moment, probably yes. The Goodyear's goal itself, the game itself, and I mean the, the kind of the, the, the game itself. I'll probably say no. I mean when you've got the the, the, the Tottenham game, the five one, which I, I wasn't actually at. I missed that one. Um, the season after, where that was the weirdly the, the relegation season, kind of from Southampton away from the decision to make Lasalle's captain. Mm. That felt as if that was the beginning of the championship season to me. That was where thing Benitez started to kind of put the put things in place, get the team sorted out, and like I say, made the South captain start to drop players. Um, so for me, that, that Tottenham game was more of a kind of Michael J for hope for the Warriors started back in 06 at Camp Lejeune military families witnessing the effects of war on their loved ones now almost 20 years later they've aided over 53,000 service members veterans and families with confidential high quality behavioral health care services at little or no cost to post 9-11 vets and their families over 91% of every dollar donated goes directly to the programs if you're as concerned about our heroes as I am Go to hopeforthewarriors.org. It, it really felt like I will see you next year, but we'll be back. It's just a, a short-term thing. This one, for all, I mean, a good year ago was a wonderful moment. Um, it still, at the end of the game, felt like we've got to do this all again next season. Yeah. And it, it was kind of, un, it was underpinned by that kind of uh, that dread, that malaise that's kind of hung around for nearly a decade and a half now. Hmm. Oh well, on a, on a, a high note, as always, we're gonna we're gonna wrap that one up there. Um, Jonas Gutierrez, a hero in more ways than one, I think. Um, not just Newcastle fans would agree with that one. There, um, he literally came back from the brink to save Newcastle from the same brink. What an important character in our history in black and white uh, and, and someone that the bestie, like you say, we could, we could speak about for ages about his his various things. Perhaps that's going to be another yeah. podcast uh, for another time, the Gutierrez podcast. Uh, hopefully where we speak to him because, um, you know, he's, he's quite active online, as you said, Shell. Um, thanks for uh, joining us tonight, uh, Shell, as well. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mia. No worries. And you, bestie? Thanks to you, thanks very much. I'm, I think I'm going to get wrong for having woken my son up. I've just got to really. I did hear a him. child crying. I thought that was just the mention of Mike <laughs> Ashley, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, got, I got a terrible glare of Mrs. Best when she came in the kitchen. Yeah, so I think I'm in for hiding my Mrs. Right. Oh. <laughs> well, on that note, um, we will look ahead to a, another roller coaster of a week as Newcastle United fans. And um, we'll see you next time. Keep subscribing, keep liking, keep downloading, and, and whatever else. Um, keep, keep spending. I don't know. Uh, right. I'll see you. <laughs> later. <laughs>Michael J. for Hope for the Warriors. Started back in 06 at Camp Lejeune. Military families witnessing the effects of war on their loved ones. Now, almost 20 years later, they've aided over 53,000 service members, veterans, and families with confidential, high-quality behavioral health care services at little or no cost to post 9-11 vets and their families. Over 91% of every dollar donated goes directly to the programs. If you're as concerned about our heroes as I am, go to hopeforthewarriors.org Sports Social Podcast Network